Please welcome Jake Gerhardt. Okay, thank you. Um, we'll get started. I'm going to read uh, a chapter, probably one, um, and um, I'm going to kind of go through the book and take a look at it. So we have the cover here. There's a basketball there, and um, there's a little bit of basketball in the book. Um, and there was a funny thing when I was a kid, when we had dances, half of the school, half of the gym would have... Uh, a dance going on, the other half would have a basketball game on. And it made its way into the book. It was real. And we used to play these really rough and rugged games with like 20 or 30 guys and get really a nasty sweat going. And then, you know, try to find a girl to dance with. Um, Duran Duran was really popular then. And uh, it was really fun. So, you know, my friends and I, we would go out dancing with all the girls, which was great. And then if a Duran Duran song came on, all of the girls would dance with each other and sing the song together. So that was when, as a guy, you were going to be either dancing with yourself, and this was before Billy Idol's Dancing With Myself. So what I would do is I would walk away from the dance floor the way the president walks from Marine One into the White House, if you've ever seen that, he's, he's busy, he has something to do, and he waves off, but he's very also, he's really nonchalant. So I would walk off the dance floor a little bit like this. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of like, I really have something important to do, because the Duran Duran song is playing. Um, most of my family, we, we also sweat a lot. So the basketball games would kind of give me this slimy, uh, amphibian-like film, which um, probably got in the way uh, for the final dance song, which was usually, I guess it was like sort of Stairway to Heaven. But I also remember Bonnie Tyler. What was that song? Total Eclipse of the Heart. It's like five minutes, and it's passionate. And... It's probably the only time I ever thought in my life that I was going to elope. Because the girl I was dancing with, the, a Bonnie Tyler song, I was almost thinking, you know, we should, we should just go. Because this is, this is it. <laughs> so there's a basketball there. There's a guy singing. There's a paper airplane. Uh, a briefcase and an apple. And um, Miranda Mullally reading a book. So when we open up the book, we see who it is. And the first thing it says is, for my father. Detective Jacob P. Gerhardt, who taught us how to love and taught us about love and laughter. And um, my father was a really, you know, the best dad you could have uh, as a high school kid. And um, there was a story that my family and I were talking about at uh, Christmas right before I began to write this book. And I wrote it, I started in January, I guess 2013. My father had passed away in September of 2012, so we were having a drink uh, in my father's honor about four days after Christmas, which is how we do Christmas in my family. And we started reminiscing just my brother's-in-law's uh, rem remembrances of my father. Now, my dad had, we have four, I have four sisters, so there were a lot of guys that come around the house. And there was one dude in particular whose name was Mike. And at the time, my sister was working in Newark, New Jersey, but she still had her place in Philly. And this guy, 
um, would come down after work with her, and then they would go out Friday night. And there was about a two-hour period where there was a lull, and this dude, Mike, had to hang around the house. And at this point, my dad would have been sitting in front of the television watching the news, complaining about the state of the world. And this guy, Mike, would just sit down and hang out with my dad for these two hours. It was the highlight of Mike's week. We began to call him Comfortable Mike because he just, he was so comfortable sitting with my dad. Then my sister would have to say, okay, let's go. We're going out. We're going to have fun. We're going to meet friends. We're going to have dinner. We're going to a movie. And Mike would say, oh, okay, and drag himself away. Eventually, it was clear that Mike was in love with my dad. And the relationship had, had, had gone its way. And my sister had to break up with Mike. And uh, it was really tough on all of us, especially Mike. My father never noticed. He had no idea. But uh, he was given his working papers, and we missed Mike, because he was also an IT guy at Prov in, in uh, Prudential. So he could fix everybody's computer. He actually gave me a laptop to use. He was like, just take this, use this. And I wrote a huge paper on it. And then Mike was gone. And, and when my sister got rid of him, we also had to give him back his, his computer stuff. Um, we still have not replaced him in the family when it comes to IT. We're still all lost. So um, that, that gave me the idea for this story. So after Christmas, I came, I was just kind of thinking, wouldn't it be funny if there was a story about a man who has one daughter and three guys fall in love with her? And then the father uses the boys for things, cutting grass, putting on a new roof, taking care of enemies, anything like that. Because Mike would have gone out and broken legs if my dad asked him to. I mean, everything my dad said, Mike would say, comfortable Mike would say, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so I started writing it, and it was, I started right away with this chapter one, the thumbtack. And fortunately, the father was out. Um, there's very little parenting in the book, which is not because there aren't parents for these children, but it's because teenagers don't care about parents. And from experience, when I was 13, um, there were a few people that knew less than my mom and dad. And I knew everything. Everything. Um, so I'm going to just read the first chapter. We'll let it sink in. And... Um, Maybe the second, but we'll definitely do the first. And then I think we'll ask some questions. And, and I'll try to answer them. Does this sound right? Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, I wasn't sure. Well, this is great because I can sing what I was going to sing before. Remember? Okay. So this is called Me and Miranda Mullally. Chapter 1. I should open this up now. That's the best part of being a writer is you get a free bottle of water. <laughs> That's good. Chapter one, and it's, this is told by three different uh, boys, Sam, Charlie, and Duke. Chapter one, the thumbtack, Sam. Until today, Miranda Mullally isn't a girl I think about a lot. 
But she really gets my attention when she turns to me and hands me my thumbtack. I mean, she really gets my attention. It all starts when I'm sitting in biology class, minding my own business and doing my best to mentally prepare for the long semester ahead. Even though it's only January 4, Christmas and New Year seem like years ago. That's what school does to you. It freezes time. It's only the first period of the first day, and already I feel like I've been stuck here forever. As I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about the new me. You see, I finally decided to turn over a new leaf and put all my clowning around behind me. After all, I can't pull pranks my whole life. And my Christmas gift to my mom was a promise to clean up my act. If you think about it, this was a great gift because it made my mom very happy and it didn't cost me a penny. I mean, I'm so serious about all this, I didn't even make my usual stop to see the boys in the cafeteria. Imagine me, Sam Dolan, being the first person in class. I have all this going through my head when Duke Samagora enters the room. He walks up to Mrs. Stempen, who's sitting there at her desk with her head in a science book, and he puts an apple in front of her. I mean, come on, where does he think he is? Duke stops and chit-chats with Mrs. Stempen. God only knows what they're talking about, but I can, pr I can take a pretty good guess. It's definitely about something boring. Duke's probably telling her about what he did over break, like going to science museums and dissecting frogs on his kitchen table. Everybody who knows me knows that by now I'm starting to get a little antsy. I'm ready for class to start and trying to keep myself from thinking about what I'm dying to do. I can't help myself. I reach into my backpack and I take out my thumbtack. I hold it in my hand and I even smile at it. My old friend, the thumbtack. We will part ways now that I'm turning over a new leaf and I'm going to miss it. That thumbtack and I have had a lot of fun together. But when I hear Duke laughing with Mrs. Stempen like she's Tina Fey instead of a boring biology teacher, I can't help but think maybe this is one last hurrah for me and the thumbtack. After all, I can't be expected to go cold turkey. Then I hear my mother's voice in my head. Like I said, she's really excited about my promise to be good at school. She even told me how proud she was of me before I left the house this morning. She's one of these moms who's really interested in education and all that stuff. So maybe it's best if I put the thumbtack back in my bag. But I just can't. I mean, it's not against the law to have a little fun. And that's what the thumbtack is all about. And Duke is the perfect target. First of all, his name is Duke Vanderbilt Samagora. Add to that the fact that he dresses like a J. Crew model. And what's with those guys in their pants that don't fit? And he carries a briefcase instead of a backpack. And well, I'd be a fool if I didn't put a thumbtack on his chair. The way I see it, I really have little choice in the matter. And since it's the first day of school and the first day of the new year and January is a painfully long month and Mrs. Stempen doesn't stop teaching from the moment class begins and is still talking when we're walking out the door, if you consider all of that, I'm really doing everyone a favor. It's probably the only fun we'll have all month. So I place the thumbtack on Duke's chair. Pretty certain he'll thank me when he learns it's the last time I'll ever put a thumbtack on someone's chair. 
And then the craziest thing that has ever happened in the history of Penn Valley Middle School happens. Just as Duke is about to sit on the thumbtack, my thumbtack, my last thumbtack, Miranda Molly puts out her Miranda Malali puts out her hand and stops him. This really throws me off. I mean, who does Miranda Malali think she is? I believe this is yours, she says, dropping the thumbtack in my hand. She smiles at me, too. I don't know why I never noticed her smile before, because it's a good smile. I mean, it's a great smile, an excellent smile. She smiles like she means it. She smiles like she's happy. She smiles like she likes me. And she's got great teeth. I take the thumb back and put it in my bag and smile right back at Miranda Mullally. Is this a great start to the new year or what? All I can say is wow. I mean, wow. <coughs> this is Duke. I'm man enough to admit it. I owe my parents, Neil and Cassandra, a sincere, a sincere apology. They have been regaling me since birth with the story of how they first met. Allegedly, it was love at first sight when they met and fell in love for the, when they met and fell for each other as undergrads at Duke University, where they both studied sociology. They fell in love, and I, they have never been apart. I often gag when I hear them tell the story. But as of today, I believe in love at first sight. Today, I fell in love with Miranda Mullally, and she, if I'm not terribly mistaken, fell in love with me. How do I know? Because this morning in biology class, Miranda stuck out her arm and kept me from sitting on a thumbtack, maliciously placed on my seat by that rapscallion, Sam Dolan. And not only did Miranda save me from the embarrassment of sitting on the tack, she saved Sam Dolan's life as well. If I had sat on the tack, I probably would have smacked Sam Dolan's empty head with my textbook. And I would have been doing everyone a favor since Sam Dolan fancies himself some sort of hilarious class clown and thinks it's his duty to entertain the school with his moronic exploits, like a thumbtack on a real student's chair. But I really don't care anymore about the thumbtack. After Miranda saved my life, we gazed deeply into each other's eyes, and something magical passed between us. To quote William Butler Yeats, her complexion was luminous, like that of apple blossoms through which the light falls. She took my breath away. Technically, this could not be considered love at first sight, since Miranda and I have been classmates for years. But that is of little matter, because I have never really seen Miranda before. I now see her in a different light. In order to better understand, I think the screenplay format would be helpful. And since I'm probably going to write some movies after I've graduated from Harvard Medical School, a little screenwriting practice can't hurt. Here it goes. Interior, classroom, morning. Duke Vanderbilt Samagora, 13, handsome, enters the classroom. Duke walks to his desk and is about to take a seat when Miranda Mullally, 13, stunning, puts out her arm to stop him. Miranda, I don't think you want to sit there. Duke looks down and sees a thumbtack on his seat. Duke, thank you very much. Duke smiles at Miranda then turns and glares at Sam Dolan, 13, troglodyte. 
Miranda. It seems awfully immature, doesn't it? Duke looks back at Miranda, appearing to really see her for the first time. Film slows. Cue Handel's Messiah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Their eyes sparkle. Duke, one wonders when some people around here are going to grow up. Miranda and Duke smile and gaze deeply into each other's eyes. <laughs> so there you have it. Or as Damon Runyon would say, there indeed you have it. And Charlie. Once I realize Duke Samagora isn't going to punch Sam Dolan in the nose, I get back to looking through my notebook for all those fancy vocabulary words Mr. Minkin is always making us learn. The reason why I'm looking for all these fancy words is because my brother, Billy, is returning tonight and I need to tell him all about Miranda Mullally. Is this making sense? If it's not making sense, then this might help. I'm sitting in class and watching Miranda Mullally, but I don't exactly know what to say to her. So I'm thinking I can get Billy's help, because Billy knows all there is to know about girls. I really noticed Miranda for the first time at Christmas Day service. I was sitting quietly in the dark, cold church, trying to get comfortable on the wooden pew, and trying not to look at the clock, when I heard a beautiful voice singing. It was really amazing. It was the kind of voice that reminds you of something happy and sad and hits you in the gut all at the same time. All I can remember about this song is that there was a drum and a boy, but the way Miranda sang it was pure magic. It suddenly seemed brighter and I felt warm inside. Does this count as a Christmas miracle? So anyway, I hear this voice in class and look up, and there's Miranda Mullally. She sticks out her arm and keeps Duke from sitting on a tack that Sam put there on his chair. She probably saves Sam's life, because Duke can sometimes be crazy. And she saves the basketball season, because even though he messes around a lot in practice and coach hates his guts, Sam is a pretty good point guard. And suddenly I can't think of anything but Miranda Mullally. I'm not thinking about my new sneakers. I'm not thinking about what's for lunch. I'm not thinking about basketball practice. I'm not thinking about how long this class is. No. All I'm thinking about is Miranda Mullally. So needless to say, I am very excited to be in science class with Miranda Mullally, even though I'm sitting behind her and can't see her pretty face. Thank you. So I think it would be a good time to have questions and answers, and then um, I think we'll sign some books. So uh, if you um, raise your hand. Uh, okay, we have somebody in the front row here. Yes? What's your name? You know it already. <laughs> What's your question? That's a really good question. Um, um, I, 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 you know what? I really like all three characters a lot. They're, choose one, seriously? Okay, I would choose Sam. I would choose Sam. 
that's who I would choose. Why? Um, I, I don't know why it's weird, but I would choose him maybe because I had two older sisters and two younger sisters, and Sam has an older sister and a younger sister. So I think I would choose Sam. But I, like, I think all the kids have a really good life going on, you know, and I, I really wanted to write, I wanted to write a, kind of a happy book as well. So, you know, there's not, they're not dealing with vampires or uh, zombies, uh, yeah, zombies and, and some of the other things. And, um, yeah, the so kids are pretty, uh, they're, they're pretty resilient and they're really living in the moment. Um, in the book, so uh, yes. Which one comes over and watches TV with their dad? That's in book two. We find out the 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 the, the only contact with a with a father in this book is um, comes in like chapter ten, eleven, or twelve, and um, it's close to a, a multiple homicide. So. No one's going over uh, to Chamberlain. Although the kids, as, as they're doing it, they're thinking, you know, wait and check out how Mr. Malala is going to be so impressed with us. Um, Duke is actually thinking, if he's a lawyer, he would probably be interested in the fact that I'm going to go to Harvard Law School after Harvard Medical School. So, um, but yeah, and it, it lightens up in the second book. But this one is, uh, and there isn't uh, too much of the parenting. So... Another question. Yes. Uh, Jake, uh, do you maintain that structure throughout the book where each chapter has an event from the perspective of each of the three boys? Yes. And there's a little bit of Miranda's perspective as well, which um, helps to... Um, uh, you know, kind of have some su surprises. Um, it's not, it's, it's, it's a little difficult to do because a lot of times as I'm writing it, I just write the same thing from their point of view. And um, what I've tried to do, and with the help of my editor and Karen, is show each what happens from a different point of view, but also in a sense, a different time as well. So, um, but it, it makes it, you know, the, the book is only 40,000 words, but it, it started out with a lot more, and then I had to get cut down because I was, you know, just telling the same story over and over. Um, but that maintains itself throughout. And then there's a thing that I, that I really like a lot called writing prompts, where the kids are kind of writing like in a journal, but for their school English class. And then we really, like, we really get to see, I think in chapter four or five, what Miranda thinks about the thumbtack. And um, not, to give, not to give it away, but um, the, when she hands that thumbtack to Sam and Sam falls in love, Miranda is thinking how disgusting Sam Dolan is because he brought in his father's tooth for show and tell in kindergarten, and she still thinks, ew, that hand touched her father's molar. Um, so, you know, they're, they're later on, as the book goes along, I, I, I hope that for the humor, there's a lot of things like that. Um, uh, another question. Frida? to find out who she falls in love with 
as you read the book. And it is a surprise, I think. My nephew, who's like nine, was just telling my mom, oh my God, I did not expect that. And um, there was, um, when, when I was writing this, I was working a job at um, teaching uh, special ed students, uh, all girls. And it was a really rough crowd to teach. They, they had a lot of things going on and issues. And I, a lot of the kids read the book and there was a kid who came in and she was 18. And she was a kid who from 14 to 17, that was not a period in her life that she'll ever look back on. It was very, very sad. But she came in and she, was, she had tears in her eyes and she was like, I can't believe that's how it ended. I was like, are you sad? And she's no, I'm happy. And um, as in, this is such a thrill to be here with everyone here and my daughters and Karen. But that was, that was a moment that, was really, that I'll always have, and it was really special for me. Um, so how did I get onto that? What was her question? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yes. Hi. Your nine-year-old nephew read it. Yes. So, would you recommend this book to boys as well as girls? That is Andy's nine. Also. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I mean, ultimately, like in the with books like this, so much of it is like schools and libraries and things like you know, you know. And then um, I really want to write a book that boys would like and also girls would like, and also a book for reluctant readers. So there's a, a part in it where Duke uses the term to describe. Sam is a troglodyte. There's a footnote, and when he, um, when he, uh, there's something else. And he, oh yeah, the quotation from William Butler Yeats. There's a, um, a footnote, and there's about 50 footnotes that Duke uses, which I are, are just kind of silly um, type of facts. And I don't think Duke is a kind of knows this. He's a kid who's like googling it. But I think that is something that would have higher. Um, just a moment, higher level readers enjoy it, and then I think it's accessible for lower level readers as well. So, um, you know, that was what I was really hoping for. And it's, you know, so, yes, but uh, just a moment, Frida, Patrice. The challenge in the beginning to really get it going was to get all the adults out and have the story told from the kids' point of view. And the stories that I was writing before that weren't published and were rejected were so brilliant and so funny. Um, but what, it was, what I was doing is I was kind of writing like this guy who was looking back on his childhood, like the stories that Gene Shepard wrote that I enjoy so much and James Thurber and kind of like a much lighter David Sedaris type of thing, like check out my life, it was so awesome. Um, and it just was like, eh, everybody has those stories. So I, I really had to narrow it down to this kid's point of view. And when I was that age, 13, I was a complete and utter solipsistic jerk. The only thing that mattered in the world and that existed was what affected me. Uh, how my mother didn't change the locks when I went out to school, 
um, I, I'm just always amazed by. But you know, I would come home from school, and I was like, and my mom would be on the phone, and there was like, there were six kids. My dad was like, sometimes my dad would put on like a bulletproof vest and go out <laughs> to work, like seriously, and like, and like. You know, my, my one thing my parents did with that type of job is that they really allowed us to be kids. So my my father was a detective and a cop, and he knew stuff and in this town that not everybody should know. And it would drive you crazy if you thought too much about it. But, um, you know, I would come home and I'd be like, uh, what's for dinner? What did you make me for dinner? When is it going to be ready? <laughs> Jeez, <sighs> you know, like I'm in school, man, and, you know, having a great time. I mean, I expect not knowing my mom was on the phone with my grandmother talking about, you know, aging and people uh, getting sick and like everything else. I was just like, uh, what's for dinner? So you know, really, in this book, these kids are. I mean, it's in the moment, everything that's happening, and. Um, you know, I, I, I think it works. I, I know anybody who really wants... I, I think it's touching, but I, you know, I sometimes get feedback, and some people think, well, the kids aren't nice, or the kids are mean. Um, but I don't, I don't think so. You know, we'll find out. You know, if anybody wants to throw the book at me, go ahead, just pay for it first. Yes, Victoria? To you, what part of the story is your favorite? What part of the story is my favorite? That's a fantastic question. I'm going to say like three or four things. Well, what's my favorite? Well, I love the, the Valentine's Day dance. It's really, really fun. Um, there's a whole, the, the final third of the book is about them putting on a school play. And I really like that because when I was that age, we put on the same exact play. And I had the part that Charlie has. So really like that. There's um, some toilet paper. There's a toilet paper incident that I like a lot. Um, there's a snow day that I'm thrilled with. Um, so there's a lot of, I'm really happy with a lot of it, you know. But thank you. That's a great question. Hold on one second. Is there another question? Sam? Scratching your ear. I know. This is the old teacher. You're scratching your ear. What's your? You know the answer. Okay, Frida. Okay, two questions. Nine and up, or six in your case. And also, what kind did the pajama game? Yeah, it was really great fun. Um, it was the first and last time um, I've been on stage in a, in a musical. And um, it was really great. It was really serendipitous. I got cut from the basketball team in eighth grade. And I was, I was really bummed. Like, why would I get cut from the team? I was a pretty good basketball player. I wasn't the best, but I was better than a lot of the guys I made the team. And um, I played CYO, and I played a lot of basketball in the winter. And then, so what I did, after I got cut from the team, I went out for the play. And I just, I loved it. I was, you know, you need a lot of warm bodies to put on a musical. So I had one line, which is Charlie's line, which is, he don't belong in that town. You know, he don't belong in this town. And then almost half of the play, I'm on stage doing all of the numbers. And I'm carrying around Babe 
um, during seven and a half cents and once a year day and, and Hernandez Hideaway and all this stuff. So then when spring comes along, the, the basketball coach says, hey, you're going you're gonna to play baseball this year, right? And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I, you cut me from the basketball team. And he said, trust me, you're going to be on the baseball team. And then I realized later on that he knew, when I, was, when I was teaching, I got to know a lot of these teachers, he knew there were 15 spots on the team. And he knew he w- who was going to be on the team beforehand. And he was going to give somebody a chance to play on the team that year. So it wasn't like he was cutting me because I wasn't good. He was just giving a couple other guys a chance because five of us were cut who were on the seventh grade team. And, and I realized that was a really cool thing that he did. He was a really good teacher. But I didn't even go play out for basketball or baseball in the spring because I was so into the play. We did uh, a little hour, draw, hour comedy called the final dress rehearsal. And I was like so into it. And then I went to high school. I never even thought of being in a play again. But um, it was really fun. Yes. Two questions. Um, okay. When was it going to book Okay. Okay. First question. Um, Miranda Malali. Miranda is a name from the. I mean, I just. I was reading her, The Tempest, and I was like, Oh, Miranda. I like the way that sounds. And then from there, I just did another M, and it was like McDougal, McGonagall, McDonough, and I was always Malali, and I was like, Oh, Malali sounds good. And there was this really, really wonderful gal that we went to college with named Lisa Malali. And so when I, everyone's like, oh my God, is that Lisa Malali? I'm like, it's not Lisa Malali. It's, it's just, it's an, you know, it's just anyone. But a lot of people thought it was that. But I love the way it kind of rolls Malali. My mother still can't say it. <laughs> so my mom cannot say Miranda Malali. And she was almost arrested at Barnes & Noble on Tuesday because she was asking for the book and they didn't know what she was looking for. And it was still in the, in the boxes. And then the second book will, will be out about this time next year. And that's called, uh, well, I, thought I like me and my future ex-girlfriend, but I think that they like my future ex-girlfriend. And it's the same characters um, going through uh, more of their uh, lives in school. Yes, Patrice. So when you start writing the story, you know, the beginning and the end, you want to fill up the gap, but you started and then you start developing and the end came into, like, how it, you know what I'm I started out, um, I, I really wrote this first chapter. This first chapter is pretty much exactly what it was. And then from there, um, I did an outline, and, um, but it wasn't, it was done, and I, I finished, I started in January, and it was done in November. Um, and I don't know, like everybody always asks that, and I don't know exactly. There was definitely an outline that I did and worked around. Um, and so it kind of started from that. There's a lot of extra pages that kind of have been thrown away. But this is really pretty much exactly what I started with. Um, I, and I can't think off the top of my head of something else that had changed. And I know, like, John Irving, the writer John Irving, starts, writes the final sentence. And then he writes the whole thing, which is incredible. But, you know, so many writers do it in so many different ways. I mean, this is a fun book. It's a comedy. It's humor. So it's not... 
and I wasn't kind of like digging deep and like stirring up old memories and things like that. And that's interesting because the editorial process was really great. Even though I think the editorial process went really well, there's times when I'm like pacing around the house, like, can you believe I want to change this? Uh, you know, but because it wasn't something incredibly personal, it wasn't like, you know, this. I, I don't know how somebody writes a memoir and then has an editor tear it apart. I, I, you know, it's just really. Would drive, me, would drive me nuts. So I'm going to keep with the uh, the humor and then kind of let it go. Um, yeah. Do you have another question? One more, Frida? Okay. Who was I in the play? Who was I in the play? I was the second helper. The guy who comes on in the beginning and he starts fixing the sewing machine. You know, if anything, if you do read this and you enjoy it. Um, do yourself a favor and watch the pajama game with John Raitt and um, Doris Day. And uh, this dude, oh my God, I forget his name, but uh, Ed Hines? No, Ed, Ed Foy Jr. Heinzy. Ed Foy Jr. is an old vaudeville guy who must have been in his 60s when he did this. And it's a really, really fun uh, play. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.